Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football Faithful Podcast. I'm your host Sam Steen and uh, we're a little bit late this week, uh, but that's just to give time to let the smoke clear on what was a massive and at times controversial weekend in the Premier League. Joining me to try and make sense of it all, as usual, is Peter Henry. Hi Peter. Hello lads. Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi Ant. Hello lads, how are we doing? Not too bad. And Deck Coleman. Hi Deck. What's the crack? Not too bad. Now, uh, let's start with the moment of the week then, Peter. Let's go with yours. Okay, well, thanks very much for not telling the listeners that the real reason we're late is because I locked myself out of the house. Sam. I, was, uh, I, I was saving that for prick of the week, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Professional as ever. But, uh, yeah, no, for me, moment of the week, it has to be Pep Guardiola just being a raving lunatic with his twice, twice, yeah, amazing. twice. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, know, you very the, much. <laughs> after the second Raheem Sterling handball, which definitely the second one, no chance. Um, but I don't know. It, it's just so funny. They spent the last one when he looks to the heavens and goes twice. Like I've, I've watched it for the 500, 500th time today and it still makes me laugh as hard as the first time I saw it. It's just... It's just absolute comedy gold. It's brilliant. What watching grown men absolutely lose themselves, lose the run of themselves over football is one of my favourite things. So um, yeah, that was top class for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say the other two boys probably lost the run of themselves, but for uh, different reasons. Uh, and I'll go to you. Your moment of the week. Um, mine's actually a bit of a um, a, a serious one, really. I suppose it's, it's Liverpool related, but I don't know if anybody saw. Um, there's re- there's some really good footage and and some. Um, bits released on social media before and after the game of Jürgen Klopp and some of the players um, sitting and meeting um, Sean Cox, the Liverpool supporter, who was very badly injured in in the uh, Champions League um, semi-final with Roma in 2018. And there's obviously, he was attending his first football match at Anfield since the injury. And obviously he's he's, he's been through the mill, the poor fellow, he's been in a really bad way. And, you know, I know um, football can get a bit of a bad press sometimes and, um, you know, th- th- this week's had has had its moments already, hasn't it? But it's just great to see that clubs can still be looking to have that connection with the supporters and the fan base. And you know, it, it really was quite touching to see. And Henderson, you know, gave, gave him a massive hug and really, you know, embrace him with the family. And obviously, Klopp's gone over to see him, and it's just really, really nice to see. It was kind of like a warmer moment, I suppose. So yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely my moments of the week. That's a good one. Uh, Deck followed that. I know, yeah, Jesus. Um, my Boy, one the was uh, a bit, uh, a bit different. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so, some, uh, some Liverpool fans now might uh, hate me for this one, but my mom's week was when Liverpool won the league at the weekend. There's no catch in us. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the the result really that that game, um, it was just a big moment, like and and. I think we we all kind of thought the Liverpool were probably going to win that game, but I thought it was a fairly convincing performance. Uh, granted, uh, there was some moment of luck or whatever, but um, it, that game in general was the moment of the week for me because uh, I just think it as as we spoke about last week, um, how much of a statement that game that win puts out. Um, I know I, there's the worry. that I'm probably jinxing it. I don't care. I I'm delighted. It was great. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, I'll stay with you then because, I mean, it's it's obviously where we were going to start. It's the biggest game of the of the season of of many seasons probably, and apart from the result, it just felt like a 
well, it just felt like a massive result for all kinds of reasons. Not least, like you said, like it really puts you in the driving seat now. And you said you've won the league. Do you, does it feel like that? Can you can you feel it more uh, than? Obviously, I, I'm I'm joking there. Like I mean, we've been in situations where we've been quite clear at times. Like, but um, I really, I mean, I I don't see. I think it's a huge. It's a bigger loss for Man City probably than it is a win for Liverpool. If that makes sense. Um, especially the fact and I know we spoke about it before one of the previous international breaks I think when we were talking about Spurs that some of us were saying I, I remember I was saying I thought the international break would do Spurs good whereas the lads were saying it, it wouldn't and I wonder now what will happen with Man City going into the international break here um, like you can see with the the stuff that went on between Gomez and Sterling in the England camp it really I think that shows how troubled Man City are by that result and how big of an impact it made on them and the fact that um, you know, Gomez kind of seemed to come out of this situation, the the bigger man or whatever. Henderson was involved in kind of reconciling it and things like that. I know it's probably been blown out of proportion a bit anyway, but I still think it shows the the difference in the in the mentality between the two clubs at the moment now, especially the way that game went and and how the result went in Liverpool's favour. I think it's a really really big moment, and I know you can say it's obviously it's a big moment when you go nine points clear, but um with the build up to it the way the way city were going and there was the question marks over them and things like that and then all of a sudden they put a couple of wins together and you know start to close the gap and with the way the games went last week with how liverpool almost at one stage looked like they were going to lose the game and there could have been this this six point swing and liverpool just continued and and are now nine points clear i think that it just really i think psychologically for Man City, it's it's more blood than it is a boost for Liverpool because of the way Liverpool started. They're, they're just motoring on, and I thought I think Man City really probably thought this is a chance where we can make it a bit of a leveler and bring them bring them down with a reality check. But it didn't go their way, like so. I think that's why it's a, it's a bigger blow to them than than it is uh, positive for Liverpool. Obviously, even though it is a big positive. Peter, I actually want to go back to kind of touching on what you had you as your moment of the week with Pep losing it because, I mean, understandably, I guess at times there are things you'd be annoyed about and, and you know, that certainly that happened in that game. But is he losing it? Is he, like, we, we did wonder if the pressure and uh, Colm... Uh, dead now, of course, unfortunately. But uh, Colum, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, who's that? Yeah, used used to talk about uh, used to talk about how he he thought the pressure might get to might continue to get to not just Pep's players but Pep himself. Are we starting to see cracks? It's happened to him before. Yeah, well, well Colum's <clears throat> Colum's long held theory is that Guardiola will leave at the end of the season, even if Man City do win the league, just because he's such an intense character. Um, kind of like the the Mourinho syndrome, except he doesn't leave, you know, with the house burning down. He leaves, you know, with the house in very good order. But just probably he's had enough, and people around the club have had enough of how intense he is. I, I I'm not so sure. A lot of people are saying, uh, "Has Guardiola lost it?" I think Guardiola loses it even when his team are winning four 0 and somebody doesn't pick the type of pass he wants. Do you know what I mean? I've seen him absolutely lose it with players, even when he's. He's 5-0 up. Um, I think that was an especially emotionally charged game. Obviously, there was so much on it. I think he knew he was going into it. Um, you know, Liverpool had their full-strength team. City had a makeshift back four and a goalkeeper that, as much as Guardiola says he trusts him, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Um, so, 
yeah, I, like he did lose it a bit, but like Guardiola is a very, very emotional fella. Like I said, he, he he's kind of always on the edge of losing it, and we don't get to see that the side of him as much sometimes because he wins. But when things don't go his way, he he's just he like most big managers, he throws his toys out of the pram a bit. Like Klopp, I think Klopp as well has this you know persona in the media of like happy-go-lucky, laughing, hugging people. But, you know, when things aren't going Klopp's way, he can throw the toys out of the pram as, as well. So I, I don't think Guardiola's losing it. I think that's kind of just been a bit too sensationalist, if I'm, if I'm honest. Is he under a massive amount of pressure, more pressure than he's ever been under as Man City manager? Yeah, definitely. But to say he's losing it, I don't think so. I do think, though, that this international break has come at the right time for City. Um, just I know the players are going away, all the rest, but but it just get get them. I think you know if they were to go into another game next week because they're under serious pressure, they cannot put a foot wrong between now and the end of the season if they want to maintain their title. Liverpool are not going to drop many points. Yeah, um, a lot of tough games coming up as well, don't they? Their next it, runner of games it, is exactly yeah, and they're going to have to do it all with, like I said, with, with quite a few injury issues as well so um no I, I don't think he's losing it i just think he is generally a bit nuts if i if i'm perfectly honest <laughs> and, and um i i i hope i hope we get to see more moments like that twice because that was just fantastic to see <laughs> that's true uh, and it's funny we haven't even talked all that much about liverpool and how they played in the game um what was it three shots on goal three goals that's not bad yeah, I'd say that all day long, mate. Say that all day long. Target, I think, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Um, I, I think Bravo made a save from Salah as well at one point. Okay. And, yeah, close a couple of times. But so yeah, my stats no. completely wrong. Anyway, just carry on. Was there not a stat, lads, that uh, in the last week that Claudio Bravo has faced? Four four shots on target, conceded four goals, and been sent off. I mean, that's amazing if it's true. Yeah, even if it isn't, let's just say it is fake news and yeah, all that. Let's just not get, let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I genuinely looked at it before the uh, the game, and I, I, I knew Liverpool would have to probably have the game of the season so far um, to, to to win the game. Because I, I genuinely don't think we played very well in some of the games that we've won. We've we've dug in and we've we've found a way through. Um, the Champions League game um, in the run-up was actually one of the worst games I've seen us have all season. Nothing we did was going right in that game. Passes were breaking down in the final third and some of the link-up play was poor. Okay, we weren't playing our full-strength team in that match, but it was just a little bit worrying to see that the front three faltering a little bit. Um, but then they just, they just stepped it up and then some in that match. Um, I've never seen the midfield free so, so up for a game, pressing so much. I mean, um, God help me, I was I was agreeing with Alan Shearer on match of the day too, um, which never happens. He, he was, you know, he, he he focused on Liverpool's midfield three, and I think he was absolutely right. That's that's where the game was won. Um, Henderson, I think, had the best game I've seen him play on the Klopp. Um, Fabinho certainly did. Uh, they just they just put in such a shift; it was unbelievable. And um, I think Klopp has probably he, he was saying stuff before the game about you know the the crowd having to play their role. I think he knows deep down that City have got a little bit of a phobia at Anfield. Um, last season, Pep came and parked the bus in that awful nil-nil game. 
and uh, they haven't won a league game at Anfield for so long, it's 2011, I think. And, you know, um, Aguero's never scored at Anfield. Sterling gets a hostile reception and the atmosphere is just so cranked up for that match now. And I think the fans are onto it. Um, and that definitely had a part in it because five minutes in, we, we, we get the goal, settled us a lot and we are able to control the match, get on top of them, press them to within an inch of their lives. And um, I, I just looked at how bold we were being and I, I was I, I was so impressed with the first sort of 60 to 70 minutes. City, in fairness, they were superb. Um, for a team that got B3-1, a fourth on the counter, they were ferocious. They just never stopped. Um, last 20 minutes seemed to take about seems to take about an hour to get through. The time was going so slow and st- and, and uh, Trent was getting doubled up on as soon as Henderson went off. You could see this overload coming down the right-hand side and I was just so worried for Trent because Fabinho couldn't get over there um, without leaving a huge gap in the middle. So it was so down one side and, you know, I think had they scored five or ten minutes earlier, it would have been a very, very tight finish to the game. Um, but it genuinely was, I'd say it was our best performance in a match since that Barcelona game in the semi-final. Um, we Definitely. were just so good. So good. Um, so pleased to see them bring that mentality to such a big game. Because, uh, as I say, there's been a couple of performances which have fallen flat. Yeah, the record, you, you can't argue with the wins and the results this season. But some of the performances, I said it um, in, the, in the pod earlier, um, I'm just a little bit worried about some of our mentality in the final third, whether we're, we're overthinking things or there might be a bit too much confidence. I don't know what it may be. But they, they just seem so, so much sharper so much hungrier, so much deadlier in the final third against City. It was fantastic to see. And it, I, think, I think for once, it was one of those games that lived up to the hype at the top of the league as well. You, how often do we have those matches where, you know, the, the build-up is there and, you know, 70 minutes in, you've had one shot and, and you know, a deflected goal or something, you know, and it's, it's just been a crap game. So I think for the neutral, it was, it was phenomenal as well. But yeah, it was uh, two fantastic teams going for it. It really was good to watch. Tech, what about that then? About City, because as Anne said, they played. They actually played pretty well. They had lots of chances. Aguero just didn't quite have a shooting boots on. On another day, it could have been a different result. I guess the margins are that fine, but that gap is growing. So it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's one chance stands out in my mind as well. There was there was a a ball flashed across the face of goal, and I I can I can remember Martin Tyler nearly. Uh, he he just got excited, we'll say, um, at the prospect of Aguero almost scoring and the opportunity for him to shout his name. Um, Aguero missed it by by a fraction of an inch, and it was it would have been a, a goal. Like had he just made contact with the ball, and again, as Ant was saying, that would have completely changed the the closing the closing twenty minutes, half an hour of the game would have been completely different. Um, I suppose you you'd wonder how how much belief do Man City have when they play against Liverpool now because they seem to, no matter what they do, they they don't seem to to be as clinical, I suppose, um, as you'd expect them to be. And and there was a stat I was looking at that uh, they've, this is the second time, obviously, this season that they, they've conceded three goals when, when Norwich beat them 3-2 was the other time. But last season, they only conceded three goals once in the whole season. And that was when they lost to Palace um, in December last season, which... I mean, you could say it doesn't mean much, but I think it means an awful lot because it, it just highlights the, the the way they are this season and their frailties. And I was I was going to say last week when we were talking about it and we were discussing their frailties at the back that I think their goal difference, like the goals conceded, wasn't as bad. And I, I, I haven't looked at it 
again since, but uh, I'll just have a look there. They've conceded 13 goals this season, which, okay, in 12 games, probably isn't something you'd expect from them. But as I said, two of those two of those games, they conceded three goals each. So that's six goals in two games. Apart from that, they've conceded seven and ten, which is reasonable enough if you're conceding under a goal a game. And yet they're, we're, we're criticising their defence. But the problem is, I think when when you know that the defenders behind you or the back line behind you or the goalkeeper in this situation behind you aren't as good as the, the first choice or aren't as strong as you're used to, and we've seen this with Liverpool many times, when there's that little bit of frailty at the back, it does hinder the attacking players a bit more, even though when they get into the chances and create loads of chances still, I think it actually, it actually prevents them from being as clinical because they can't... It, it's like it, there's so much more pressure on them to produce the goals when their backline are so bad. And even though they're probably, I don't know exactly, but they're probably creating the same amount of chances. But there's so much more pressure on them because they're worried that the backline behind them is so shit, if that makes mm. sense. No, 100%. I've, I've, always, I've, I've always said that if you look at the first season when... Um, the first season Guardiola was at City and they were playing Claudio, Claudio Bravo in goal. He was their number one. There was a panic um, among City's midfield and stuff because you even, not even the forward players, it's also the midfield that you're you're afraid to, to do the risky thing at times because you think, if I lose the ball here, they're going to be straight through on goal. Do you know what I mean? So having a bad goalkeeper and a dodgy defence it spreads through the entire team. I, I completely agree with you. And it does. It, it, it makes people snatch. It makes forward snatch at chances. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's just such a, such a massive uh, impact. And I think on the flip side of that, you also think of Liverpool. They don't have that pressure, the forward players, because they trust what's behind them. You know, if, they, if Liverpool go a goal up, they know they can hold on to it. And that's a big, ma- that's a massive difference. They can almost take a step, you know, they can also almost come down a level, the forward players, because they know that they'll be looked after. Although on the flip side, again, Liverpool have conceded 10 goals so far this season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was about February before they conceded 10 goals last season. So they aren't actually looking as as strong at the back, but still, they're a hell of a lot stronger at the back than Man City. Um, I think Gary. It's a, it's a strange start, that piece. It, it's a really strange start, isn't it? I, I I've looked at that myself, and I, I, I was cursing when City scored because it was probably asking too much to win three 0 and get the clean sheet. But we could really do with a clean. I know it's if this is like this is me just wicking. Yeah, out. Probably be the same though. I know. Uh, but you know, we, we 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 could do with a couple of clean sheets, I guess. But like some of the goals we conceded have been a bit like um, like Newcastle's one they scored against us was an absolute worldy. Um, you know, Silva, you couldn't do much about it. Um, there's, there's, been, there's been a couple of goals where you're like, oh, they didn't, didn't even see that one coming, you know. Um, definitely don't look as strong at the back at times because the, the line is so high, but it's it's a strange start for sure. But I don't think we've looked all over the place at the back as a, you know, as a result. It's just been not as watertight, as you say, that start from last season. Um, was it March? It was February, you were saying, before we could see 10 goals. I mean, that was just almost bloody freakish. For us to be so good, I'm, I'm, you know, it's very strange, isn't it? Very rare for that to happen. So, uh, are they going to win it, Peter? Leicester's, Leicester's to lose, lads. <laughs> no, I, I, I have decided my ultimate fantasy for this season is for Brendan Rodgers to pick Liverpool to the league. That would just be the ultimate. 
that would be the best scenario ever. But um, yeah, no, I, I think I think you kind of, um, I think you'd have to almost come to peace with the fact Liverpool should be winning the league. Um, it was obviously a long, long way to go, and having. You know, Sam, it might be hard to believe, but me and you actually have a lot of experience with title races. And being <laughs> United fans, not in the in the most recent past, but like growing up, we were constantly in them. Like I do know for a fact that over the space six, seven days of Christmas, you could almost lose that nine point lead or it could be massively eroded. Um, so th- there are some testing times to come up for Liverpool. They have other commitments as well. The, the World Club... Cup or championship, whatever they call it, you know. So there is, and plus, Liverpool—it's Liverpool. They haven't won it in thirty years. I remember as a kid, Man United hadn't played, hadn't won it in twenty-six years before they won it ninety-two. Like the closer Liverpool gets, you know, the more, the more they're almost going to be playing the expectation, playing themselves. I do think what will help them is that they've been through it last year. The players have been through it. The fans have been through it. The fans might know not to be as kind of have that uh, that anxiety around Anfield whenever another team scores. Hopefully that belief has now been, not well, not not hopefully from my point of view, but Liverpool's, but hopefully with Liverpool now there's more trust that, you know, I think last season if Liverpool went to goal down during the run-in, the fans would nearly be throwing, them, throwing themselves off a building, whereas... Now I think there's more of a belief that it's okay, we got this, we can come back, we've seen our team do it before. So that will all definitely help. Um, it, it's looking very, very light. It's looking very likely. Even from my own point of view, I think you, you kind of have to take your hat off now. Like, what is it, almost 50 games now between last season and, and this season? Well, it is exactly 58 games, 38 and 12. They've lost one game. They're an absolute winning machine. Um so yeah, they're one of they're one of the like the, the stats don't lie. They're they're one of the greatest Premier League teams ever. This group of players that Klopp's put together and molded into a system that's just that can if you're in opposition, they, they can hurt you from anywhere. They have the best at in on form, the best playmaker in the league playing at fucking right back. Um, they, you know Robertson is is, is an absolute. He's a fantastic footballer as well. Beautiful delivery, like an energizer, bunny up and down. Van Dijk, best centre back in the world. Um, Allison's a top class goalkeeper, and then the midfield three. I think you know Liverpool fans have have often been saying they need a bit another creative player in there. I, I I don't believe that. I think that midfield three is what allows the fullbacks to be the way they are. Allows the front three to be. I think if you throw another midfielder in there, like a Coutinho type or something, it'll kind of fall apart because that that midfield three are, are just getting through so much work in there, and they're covering the gaps that that inevitably happen when when the when the two two fullbacks are bombing on. So you have to take I did like you have to take your hat off to them. I think even from my point of view, the fact they went close last year and they're going to do it probably this year. Has kind of let me come to terms with it gradually, you know. So, <laughs> Jesus, um, lads, I, 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 I don't know. I'm I get some painkillers for Pete there, mate. He sounds like he was in a lot of pain there, given yeah, that he had to break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, what, what about you? I mean, for, for, for Liverpool fans, I don't know. Is, is that music to your ears, or does that just make you worried? It makes me worried, Sam. It makes me worried. 
<laughs> and there's, there's a lot of football left to play in there, and I, I think Pete alluded to something. Okay, to you're somebody. just hedging your bets. That's fair enough. Uh, Dick, <laughs> you're going to win this. <laughs> I, I, I think we have to, don't we? You know, you, it, I'm just it, we've got, we've got to play ourselves, and you know, winning that European Cup last season was so massive for that group of players. Saved the edge off it a little bit. Um, you know, they, they, they've won something together as a team, something big. So and as you know, they were in the title race right till the final day, didn't really do wrong in that title race. So it they have got that experience, but at the same time, it's such a huge thing now. The eight points clear of Leicester, nine of City, um, you know, the, the expectation is going to be on them. Agent bloody Roy Hodgson is waiting next week at Sellers Park with his hands rubbing together, just waiting to get his hands on us. Um, so you've, you've, you've got to sort of come to terms with that, that every team is probably going to step up against us this season and put the shift of the life in. So we're going to have to play every game at full pace. And there's that, there's that December period as well. So there's still so much to play out. We've never had a better, we've never had a better chance. Never, never had a better team, better manager, better owners and a better chance. So um, we, we, we have to do it for the fans this season. Don't think he could take another, another near miss. That would just be too much to take. Um, but it's it's it, if they can get over the finish line in May, I, I think I might disappear for a month. Um, okay, I so. can imagine so. Yeah, uh, and Dave, just to... hard for a while after that, lads. So take take your time. Lad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dick, are you going to win it? Uh, well, like the the last bit there that Ant said about us never having a better chance with the better squad and manager and all that. I that's the thing for me that says I think. I think we'll have to win it this year. Um, like, obviously, if we don't win it from the position we're in now, and we have been in, in leading positions with a good points difference in the past and thrown it away, I don't think there's ever going to be any like situation where if we threw it away, that would be bigger than throwing it away this year with the with the advantage the position we're in and it's because of the team and the, the manager we have and and the success last season with the Champions League and the belief that I think is there um, the one thing I slightly disagree with Anton is that I think that uh, other teams seem to like have we have that element of um, of psychologically beating teams a bit before the final whistle even in in the situations where teams are already in the lead I don't think any Liverpool team in the last 20 years has been able to to come back in the last couple of minutes as much as this team is and I think that's one of the biggest things and we haven't seen the best of this team up until up until this weekend just gone and that's that's what's probably given more hope than anything the fact that the team is so strong the manager is so strong they have that success already but the fact that now there's really a belief that even though they're a goal down people I think, still think now you, you you looked at, if you're watching a different game and you look at your scores on or on your phone or whatever with 10 minutes to go and you see Liverpool are one down I don't think you'll ever go yeah they've lost the game whereas in years gone by you'd think that and it kind of reminds me of of the United teams of, of the, the dominant era of United and even Man City over the last years Chelsea when they were when they were winning it a bit more regularly that see them not in the lead and you always go yeah it doesn't matter they're still going to come back and win it I don't think Liverpool have had that in the Premier League era, even when we've been in the lead and been chasing that title and being so close. There was always the the Achilles heel of like a dodgy keeper, a, a couple of dodgy centre backs, or you know, or we were always over reliant on a, on a handful of players. Whereas this group is the most polished, I think, and 
I, I really genuinely do believe that they're they're going to go on and win it. I'm sure there's going to be some some hiccups come and there's going to be points dropped. But to remember that even if Liverpool do go on a poor run and drop six, seven, eight, nine points, I I don't think any of the other teams below us are capable of going on a run of now 26 games unbeaten, which is more or less what's going to have to happen. 26 wins in a row if Liverpool are to drop, even if Liverpool lose two games. The other teams are still going to have to win every single one of their games. So I don't think that's going to happen. Like, Well, uh, if it does, I'm delighted I've got that clip that we can play oh, at the yeah. end of the season. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to the third best team in the league who are now in second, who handily beat Arsenal. And I guess, well, looking at their positions in the table, you think Leicester have won the league in the last few years, whereas Arsenal haven't even come next or near it in a, in a decade. And uh, I mean, this shouldn't really be a surprise of a result, should it? No. Um, uh, that that Leicester Arsenal game was um, was something to behold, really, uh, as a football match. And um, I think if you're an Arsenal fan, that's probably giving you more cause for concern than any of the previous results in the past couple of years. Really, it, you know, on paper, you only get beat two 0 Leicester are a very, very good team, um, and you know, any I think a lot of teams are going to go there this season and drop points, but to be so comprehensively outplayed um, for most of the game. Um, would be such a massive worry for Arsenal. It was like chalk and cheese, the matter. Um, I don't know if anybody saw it in any great detail out the three of years, but it was just one very, very well-versed, well-oiled, well-drilled team that are fully on board with the manager's mantra of possession football, high energy, um, lovely fluid movement between the lines, fast transitions, and then Arsenal, who were just Arsenal, they were just crap. It was, it's got to be the worst Arsenal performance I've seen um, for some time. We, we've all talked about how leaky they are at the, at the back, but they, they just, the, the fact that they just down tools after the first goal went in and almost reverted to a walking pace in the game, it, it was it was even more sort of glaring uh, against Leicester's sort of refined, a uh, creative attack and play. Um, you know, indeed, Ian Tillmans and Barnes were just running the lines in between creating so much space, so much movement. Um, you know, Ricardo on the overlap was superb. Um, Arsenal would put 10 men behind the ball. I mean, wh- why he was trying to do that, I don't know. Because uh, they can't defend the numbers because they just can't defend. And um, there's just a lack of discipline um, from that team at the moment. So looking at it, really, there was one team who looked stitch on for a, for a top four place this season, not in the evidence of that game. And one team who looked a million miles away. If you look at the standards Chelsea and Leicester are setting this season above them, they just, they just don't look anywhere near um, getting getting near that standard. They've just talk of Emery, um, Emery only having six games to prove himself, but it, it, to be fair, at the moment, it looks like he could have 60. It doesn't matter. It, they just The players don't look engaged with the manager's methods and um, they don't look like they're enjoying the football. They look like, some of them look like they're down tools. Whereas, you know, as I say, Leicester, on the other hand, were just completely different. And Rodgers deserves a lot of praise for what he's done there. Um because that was a really that was a sinking ship on the club. Well, and what he's done, you know, I know there's still doubts about whether they can see the full season now. Whether there's going through a purple patch that will play out. But that was a massive game for them. Um, a lot of expectation on Leicester going as the favourites to win. So they they, they really did impress um, at the weekend. I thought Barnes was he was very raw at times. Um, a, a massive learning curve for him in the match. But he looks like a really really good fit in that team. He's got some really experienced players um, around him who, who, who he can learn off, some very gifted footballers who he can learn off. And he, he just looks a real natural fit in that team. Um, as I say, Ricardo was superb on the overlap. 
just just to a man, Leicester looked really, really refined. Um, they, they, yeah, they, there's not much else you can say. They just, they just look phenomenal this season. Really, really good. I, I'd I'd said at the start of the season that I well, you know, after a few games when everyone was on the Leicester bandwagon, I was kind of saying, no, I I don't I don't think so. I just think Brendan Rodgers' teams generally don't defend very well, as he proved at Liverpool. I think, you know, he had great success up at Celtic. You know, two treble trebles isn't sniffed at, but Rangers were kind of at a very low point, so they were, it was relatively unchallenged domestically. And then they were Celtic were actually quite poor in Europe under him, so I just had my doubts about him tactically from a defensive point of view. Absolutely no, no doubt of how good a coach he is in terms of the attacking side of the game. But I think... You know, Johnny Johnny Evans is is playing probably the best football of his of his career, and himself and and Sancho seem to seem to complement each other really well at the back. So they, and Casper Schmeichel's a you know a, a very experienced, solid Premier League goalkeeper. So they have a good platform there. And Ndidi is Ndidi will be playing for well Leicester probably are Champions League club at the moment, but. You know what I mean? When he'll he'll be playing at, at the top end of the game, some in the next few years, he's he's a superb defensive midfielder. So they they've got so so much going for them. A bit like when you look at Liverpool, just threats coming from all angles. The fullbacks as well, Chilwell and, and Pereira. But I think I I I I can't really remember Johnny Evans playing a full season ever. So I think he really is integral to to them. Uh, him staying fit is is integral to Liver- to Leicester maintaining um, their current rate of form because if he goes out, I'm not even sure who comes in instead of Johnny Evans. I can't think off the top of my head. But he said he didn't want to rush with the uh, the Maguire money. He, didn't, um, he said he was going to leave it until January to have a look. So. Yeah, yeah, a couple of smart additions in January will do them really well if, if they can get through that far, you know. Um, but yeah, look, they look they look really really good, and <clears throat> there's obviously a couple of things they need they need to work on. They're not as perfect as their form suggests, but it's so much easier to to iron out any kinks in your game when you're winning every week. You know what I mean? When everyone's full of confidence, and and winning is a habit. Once you get into that habit, the belief builds, and yeah, they they look um, they look they're nailed on. There's already a big gap there, six seven points between fifth and and sixth, and. Um, it's hard to see it closing anytime soon. The um, Leicester absolutely nailed on for the top four now. So, but having said that, they have been massively helped by the shit shows, the Spurs, the Man United, and Arsenal. You know, um, but fair play to them and fair play to Broad because he takes a lot of stick. But um, you know, he's 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 still a young enough coach, and he kind of. You know, I, I was listening to another podcast the other day and I never thought about it from that perspective. But this is a fella who like basically came from nothing, no background in the game, nothing, and built himself up to get a Liverpool job in his very early 40s. And now, you know, won out a lot of stuff at Celtic and and uh, back in the Premier League now, still only in his mid-40s. So, like, he does deserve a lot of credit, even if he's kind of hard to like. Uh, at times, although I think he has curbed the, Bre- the, the Brentisms in a bit lately, so um, yeah, fair play to him. And Jamie, Jer- Jamie Vardy, lads, what a striker, what a finisher! Um, uh, you know, uh, Rogers alluded to it after the game. 
he just he doesn't actually get the stats should suggest Leicester don't even get that many chances you know what I mean but he's just just seems in that kind of striker just give me a chance and I will score he, he's uh, he's absolutely lethal at the moment you, you barely take anyone above him one on one in the league at the moment he's he's that good so yeah uh, keep, keep keep their play. you'd have to wonder how strong they'd be if they get a few injuries but you could, you could say that same about Liverpool like so fair play to them I think I think Verdi is after I think he's averaging just under or just over he's it's just over two shots per goal something along those lines I don't know yeah, it's at eleven it, goals and twenty five shots that's or ridiculous like that. I think it's that's a per- frightening thirty eight thirty eight percent strike rate or something which is by, that's which really is good like, he seems to be getting better like uh, not better with age but he doesn't seem to be in any type of decline whatsoever for uh, for a fellow who would have been regarded as relying on his pace obviously he's a good finisher and all that but Pace was his thing, is his thing, but he doesn't yeah. seem to be getting slower. And as you're saying, he they don't create a fortune of chances. He's still banging the goals in. But even if you look at their starting lineup, and I, I'd agree with what you're saying as well, Pete, about like how good of a job is being done there. And the next, the next step, probably the next test now is the January window and and how they finish out the season and utilize next summer's window because. If you compare the two lineups at the week, the only player from Arsenal's lineup that you'd probably, yeah, the only one you'd take into that Leicester starting lineup that you'd say, yeah, he definitely went to that lineup is Aubameyang. Aubameyang. I don't think I don't think Lacazette or Ozil or any of the other fellas in that Arsenal starting lineup at the weekend would walk into that Leicester team, and that just shows how strong that lineup is. But then the question marks are, if any of those guys start start picking up injuries or suspensions, like Dave Gray. And uh, Pratt, or however you pronounce that fellow's name, the the Belgian, the midfielder, they seem to be the only two kind of of the you know the next tier down, or or they're they're cut above the rest of the subs that they have. And then after that, you're probably you're probably clutching a bit. And I mean that's still not too bad when you, when you're saying their starting lineup is far superior to Arsenal's. But if they can add even two players to that in January or one player in January maybe three in the summer that really gives them a chance of sustaining a top four challenge like making themselves a you know a part of the furniture in the top four and then kicking on to really you know going to the next level because obviously they won the they won the league but they didn't follow it up the following season with with a particularly strong campaign and now they're kind of getting back to that level again so their best bet now, I think, is is make that squad a little bit stronger. Hold on to those players, like indeed, like Madison, Tielemans, Verdi. Obviously, I don't think Verdi's going to go, but those three in midfield, indeed, Tielemans and Madison, holding on to them next season and and bringing another couple of players in around them to just strengthen that core and and give them a bit more depth. And then I think we could start looking at seeing them as, you know, as a as a proper top four team for a couple of years after that. You know. Yeah, Dick. I like I. I... Kind of a couple of things that they to you know lead on to what you're saying. So, firstly, what you were saying about Vardy, his legs not uh, not being gone, basically, despite he's the fact he's 33. I think yeah. There's two reasons, and again, Rogers deserve credit. He said it after the game. He's he, Rogers has stopped has has made him stay central, and he stopped him chasing lost causes. You yeah. know, Vardy used to ch- so he's making him conserve his energy, which which is intelligent. And then plus, someone else there to come in besides his kind of early 20s anyway yeah early 20s to mid 20s yeah he just doesn't have the football in in his legs like Wayne Rooney was finished when he was 28 29 because he started at 16 but I was actually thinking about this the other day Leicester have a real chance now um, because 
Spurs are looking like they're kind of falling apart. Um, and remember, Spurs have only been in a established, they've been an established Premier League club, but they've only been, you know, the top six only came along about three, four years ago. Spurs could quite easily, unless they make, they play things very smartly over the next season, they could fall away quite significant, significantly, Spurs, because I don't think they'll spend the money to get back to where they were, and that team is on the decline. And Arsenal are are a, are a mess. It might take another few years before they get back. Man United are in a, in a mess as well. So Leicester have a chance to establish themselves as one of the Champions League, as one of the clubs that challenge for the Champions didn't break into the professional season over the next couple of seasons. So we could be talking about a top seven or even one of the traditional top six drops out. I do think the other clubs are bigger and, and they, will, they will find their way back, but it's a real possibility, you know. I think it's more likely that one of the traditional top six does drop out. Beats, I've been mean, looking at it at the moment, you know, 13 games is quite a big cross section to look at from the match. And, um, you know, I look at Arsenal and Spurs as, as just two teams that look completely in, in reverse gear. So, you know, the, the onus is on a team like Leicester, you mean, they've, they've got the funding there, and they don't really seem to be short of a few bob. Whether they can hold on to players is a big thing, you know, definitely as, as of what you just said there, but definitely they've never had a better chance to establish themselves as a top four team. And also with Rodgers as well, if he can reassert himself, I mean, there was there was quite a damning piece done on him in Independence, um, which focused on his career at Liverpool. And he seemed to be saying one thing in public and saying other things behind the scenes. And he was he was pissing people off at FSG by all accounts. And I think he was showing his, his immaturity at that level. So I think if, you know, as you say, maybe he has cut out that, that aspect of his personality and he is just more focused on being a proper football coach because you know, players did improve under him at Liverpool. So if he can reassert himself as one of the, the hot young British coaches coming through, you know, then players might want to play with him. You know, if, if you're Jamie Vardy and James Madison and you, you're, you're floating around the England team and, you know, players listen and players look and, and, and see where, you know, it, it's enjoyable to play football. The Arsenal, the Arsenal players, the Tottenham players, they don't even look like they're enjoying playing at the moment. They look like a team of strangers. So yeah, that, lads, I, think, I, think, I think with Rodgers as well, well, one thing that could re- could I could really see happening as well is that I think we'd all agree it's quite possible that Arsenal, Spurs and maybe even Man United over the next few months could be looking for a new manager. And I'd mm. say Brendan Rodgers is the type that he'd be gone in a flash if, if somebody... Yeah. If somebody went, yeah. so that that could that could derail that could also derail Leicester. I'd say they're holding on to him is a bit. They'll have as much difficulty holding on to him as they will at any of the players, really. You know what I yeah. mean? The only problem there is, the, for me, the problem there is like they're such rebuilding jobs that he'd have to go to. And yes, they are bigger clubs at the moment, and you know they would have bigger fan bases and and more revenue streams and all that. But the problem is like Spurs, they're going to lose. I think uh, Danny Rose came out today and said he's gone at the end of his contract. He has 18 months left, but he's gone at the end of his contract. Eriksen is leaving. Vertonghen seems to be leaving. Uh, Alderweireld seems to like that's that's four starting players. Like three of your back of your your strong back four leaving from Spurs, and what would have been their most creative player in the last few years, like all possibly leaving on a free in the next 12 to 18 months. That's that's massive there. Like so, there's a real rebuilding job to be done at Spurs I think obviously we know the job that that's there to be done at Arsenal and Man United so I think that would be the probably the only thing 
because Leicester have that like 12 or 13 or 14 players that he has there that maybe that might be the only thing that, that could keep him there. He's going, Jesus, I don't want to have to go and have to rebuild and start from scratch again, you know, especially if they if they do miss out on, if any of those teams miss out on Europe and Leicester are in, are in the Champions League, that, you know, you'd expect that it, it wouldn't take very long for them, for Leicester to kind of surpass where, where Arsenal and Spurs are now at the moment. Like, because if you think back to maybe eight or nine years ago, Spurs weren't considered one of the, one of the top teams either. Like, you know, so... You know, I, I I do agree that he he jump ship, but I wonder is is he are Leicester just lucky that at the moment the timing is just about right for them to hold on to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was last time, of course, when they won the league and they're taking advantage uh, again, and they're, they're you know fair play to them for that. And I think it's an interesting, it will be an interesting to, one to watch over the next couple of years to see if they can maintain that. Uh, we did wonder if Chelsea would drop uh, fall away, but well, you lads were confident that they wouldn't. Certainly, you were, Peter, and they uh, continued their good run against uh, Palace with a two 0 win. Yeah, they just keep on, um, they keep on ticking along nicely. Chelsea, you're just kind of. It felt very routine, that win against Palace. Um, Palace are obviously a Roy Hodgson team, you know, the, almost the prototype of a, you know, well-oiled English top-flight mid-table team that are just very, very difficult to beat. And Chelsea struggled to, to, to break through them in the first half, but um, once they got the goal, uh, they played, played some excellent stuff. And they've had to, you know, they... They were out without Jorginho, who has been one of their best players, not a bother. Uh, they've been without Kante and Rudiger throughout the season. They just got on with it and, and played some really good stuff. Pulisic, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and did uh, five things we learned for the website. He was drooling over William and with 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 good um, with good reason. I think William, because his kind of goal and stats records aren't always you know off the charts, which is you know, we've almost boiled that down to football. Oh, he, we'll class him as an attacker. Oh, he doesn't have double figures or goals and assists. No, he's not that good. But William, it's what he brings. It's his work rate, how he brings other people into play, his intelligence. He's a superb player. So it's it's just all looking very, very rosy for Chelsea at the moment. And they've got, you know, it's it, it, the top four at the moment, it looks, it's hard to see it changing because none of the other teams below them will, will realistically at the moment be able to put together a, a good enough run to, to catch them unless you know Chelsea and Leicester will take it that Liverpool and City are in the top four and we'll say Le- Leicester and Chelsea they, they'd kind of kind of have to fall apart but I only see Chelsea kind of getting stronger when they get Kante uh, back um, you know you could say they're a young Kante t- back firing on all cylinders and they they get Rudiger back in into their back line you know, you could say that their young team, maybe a couple of bad results will affect them, but they, they had a tough start and they came through it. So it's just all looking good. And you have to say, if, if some like if you're running around at the weekend and, and there's games on, there's some teams you'll make sure you watch, even if they're not, not your club, because you know that it'll be an enjoyable watch. Say if you have something else to do, you'll, you'll throw it off and do it. And Ch- Chelsea are a good watch. They give up chances as well, which makes it kind of exciting, you know what I mean? But they're actually one of the best teams to watch. And it's kind of, I think we've almost come full circle with Chelsea. I think I've talked about it in other pods that 
when I was growing up, they were a likable team. They had the Viales and the Zolas and stuff, and they weren't really a threat to winning the league, but they you know, were a great cup team and everyone liked to watch them. And then they became the most hated club when Abramovich bought them. But there's all, they're likable at the moment, maybe because it's, it's all kids, but they're, uh, yeah, there's, it's, there's not much negatives to throw against them. Maybe their defence is a bit ropey, but sure, that's what makes them entertaining as well. Yeah, yeah. So. absolutely. Uh, in uh, teams that are kind of falling out of the top six news, um, well, I suppose Sheffield United would have been disappointed not to have beaten 14th placed uh, Spurs. And well, what's going on with Spurs? It's just a fucking disaster, isn't it? Yeah, so it, it is. I think um, Column's theory has finally come to fruition, hasn't it? Um, the, the, the wheels have come off completely. I, I, it's hard to put your finger on it. Um, I, I said earlier in the season, and I, I still stand by it, I think last season um, was such a, you know, like the, the trajectory of emotion in that in that season was just so high. And, you know, Pochettino is clearly a very emotional guy. Um, he, he almost, almost, almost had this fairy tale season in the Champions League. Um, and such a, such a strong group of players who've been together for a while. It would have been the culmination of a body of work. And, it was almost there, and then it just seems to have snapped and broken um, as a result of it. Whether that's that's had a, a sort of shock impact on them, um, maybe that's too simplistic a point to put on it. But they just they just don't look like they've got the motivation, which would be a massive concern. Um, you know, everyone's focused on Ericsson, and rightly so. He has been poor, and Deli Ali's been below par. But I thought Kane looked a little bit lacklustre against Sheffield United. His movement was poor. Whether he's carrying a knock, whether he's tired. But he didn't look that sharp. The, the, the only real player that's kept up the level is Son. Um, Son looks fat, still looks hungry and, and energetic and playing with the kind of necessary tempo that you'd expect. But at the moment, uh, uh, you know, um, Deck alluded to it before, there's four or five players who are probably going to leave. Future's right up in the air. There's a debt over the stadium. Have they got the financial capability to rebuild it? Maybe Pochettino is, is sort of in that no-man's land now where... He maybe knows in his head that he can't go on with this as it is because there's no money to spend. Um, but whatever it is, there's, there's something not right with the, the, the mentality and the fabric of the club because they, they can't have all become crap players overnight. They're all good footballers there. Um, you know, Deli Ali scored a great goal against Everton the other day, really smart goal. Um, he, he had his best performance for a while at Goodison Park. Um, Ericsson's a fantastic footballer. Clearly, he's got his head elsewhere. His mind's you know, mentally, he's gone perhaps... Um, Harry Kane maybe being a little bit a little bit of that as well. Um, Liverpool experienced it with with Gerrard and, and and Owen a little bit in the noughties when when they've been at the club for so long and there was so much speculation on, over whether the club could compete and whether you know big clubs would start looking at players like Owen and Gerrard. You did see them start to dip and, and waver a little bit as they toyed with the notion of leaving. Whether Harry Kane's got that privately, there's not many stories coming out of the club that he is looking to go, but. A player of his quality probably will want to win some big honours in the career. Spurs, 14th in the league, don't look like they're going to have a good season. Um, they're very up and down in the Champions League as well, which is odd. Um, but it's just very strange. I, I personally think it's a mental thing at Spurs, definitely. Uh, there, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty shrouding the players. Um, they all seem to be looking at each other and thinking, are you going to go next? Are you going to go? Are you staying? And that's never healthy for a football club. Um, you know, it, it's starting to eat in and corrode the performances, which is a real shame from a Spurs fan's point of view. You know, you, they, they really were a good team to watch. 
for a good few years under Pochettino, but they, they just seem to have lost everything which made them a good team. Um, the depression seems to have gone. Um, it's a funny one, though, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you kind of wonder where they go from here. Chris well, I, I think, that, lads, I think the, the, it, it kind of really notice, noticeable this season. I think the wheels started to come off a long time before last season because I know they got to the Champions League final, but their league form was abysmal over the last three or four months last season. Like, they were challenging, I think, was it... Was it Burnley they played away in like February or March and they were in with a shout of a title at that stage uh, it was them Liverpool and City and it, I think did they draw or I think they drew that game or, or maybe they lost it it was a contentious decision do you remember Mike Dean and, lost it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but like ever since then their they're form in the, in the league their away form is, is terrible um, and it, it, it's kind of been gradually winding down since then. He, he got a couple of big performances out of them uh, in the Champions League, obviously. But, you know, and it was more a, a, a second half and I actually got out of them really, you know what I mean? The first three quarters of the game, they, they were completely outplayed. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of been coming for a while. They needed to freshen things up in the summer. They need to get players off the books and and they didn't do it. And it's... It's kind of yeah, it's a strange and like you said, Sam. Where do they go? Because I, I, I don't. It obviously as Man United and you know well, even yeah, Arsenal, exactly. Like they've got a manager that like big clubs really want already. You know they've got a big new yeah. stadium that's you know it's it's like. But like what? I don't think Spurs are necessarily going to pump a load of money into it, and then they would still be attractive for other coaches. But I think they really struck gold with Pochettino, and it was just really unfortunate they didn't win a trophy throughout the last few years because I think this. The Pochettino cycle at Spurs and the cycle for a lot of them players—it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's very much come to an end. I think they just all spent so. It's just all gone. It's just gone a bit stale, really, hasn't it? Like, um, and I, think it's, Ant, it's, I think Ant mentioned something a few a few weeks back about um, how how the cycle of players in a team I could be wrong. No, but I, I can vaguely remember some someone mentioning something about the players being in a particular squad for a certain length of time and. You know how you need that change, that turnover of players, and that's probably like I know you're saying, is it the players have run the course, or is it Pochettino's run the course? I mean, he's a good enough manager, and as you said, lots and lots and lots of teams would take him. So I think the problem is they haven't had a, a big enough turnover of players. And I know it's, it may sound mad to say that they haven't had a big enough turnover, but not so much in one go. But you know they haven't been refreshing their squad over the last few years. It's been more or less the same squad for the last two or three seasons. And I think that's probably what's causing the biggest problem No. Yeah, there, there was something, go, I think it was, I can't remember the game from last season, but Spurs played, I think it was one of the big, it was either Man City or Liverpool. And there was a stack going around that they played each other three years previously and 10 of Spurs' 11 players had played in that game. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's essentially... You could basically name Spurs starting eleven for four seasons in a row, and I think as well that the lack of options, the lack of, like you said, turnover, not bringing in players that could go. I know people say it's good to have the same starting eleven, but you need people biting at your ankles as well to, yeah. to raise your performance. So it's just, yeah. and I, th- I think he's just got so much out of out of them. You know, it's the same for a lot of top coaches. There's only so many motivational speeches you can give to the same group of players over and over again. So 
I think that they're all just probably a bit sick of each other in a really basic way of looking at it as well. You know? Well, like, you know, you're saying you, it's it's good to have the same starting eleven for, you know, and, and having a couple of players trying to, trying to get into that team. That's fine, but you don't have the same starting eleven for four years. Like, you no, know, you have the same no. starting eleven for a season, maybe, yeah. but you, yeah, you correct, can yeah. replace a couple and then and then move on from there. Like, so. yeah, so, do you remember Liverpool? So Liverpool, right? I'd say if you went back and looked at the Spurs team that faced Liverpool in Jurgen Klopp's very first game, I'd say there's not a single player, Henderson maybe, still in the Liverpool team, and I'd say about 80% are still in the Spurs team. Yeah. I'm going to do that when we finish up. That's my job. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to uh, United then. Actually, Peter, I'll stick with you then. Because, uh, oh, yeah, I know. Uh, it, it's a funny one because, uh, I mean, decent result at the weekend. Uh, but a lot of the coverage I've been seeing has been that oh, it's been a, it's been a good month for Man United. You know, bar the one with the result against Brighton, it's been a, it's been a good month for them. But uh, I don't I don't really see that, do you? No, well, we were like. I mean, we, it's been fine, but it's not been like oh, a good month for United. Well, it had. Well, look, there's two ways to look at it. Is it a good month for the Man United we grew up supporting? No. Um, is it a good month for what Man United have been coming? The bar had been so, set so low in the previous month. Yes, it was a very good month. So, you know, the Bournemouth game was, you know, they had a few good away wins. Uh, the win away from Norwich has kind of gradually not looked as good because of how bad it's become clear Norwich have now become. Um, the the loss against Bournemouth was really back to the, the dark, hello darkness, my old friend kind of kind of times. But I have to say, to be fair, I'm just going <laughs> to enjoy it. Like, I'm just going to enjoy it because it was enjoyable watching them. They played some good stuff um, against Partizan. Some really good goals. Greenwood fast becoming his kind of trademark. Reminds me of Van Persie, he really does. Even a bit bow-legged the way he kind of walks and runs. Uh, Rashford with a good goal and, you know, Martial with an absolute screamer in, in the Europa. And then it was actually, it was enjoyable watch. Like, it wasn't an amazing performance, but they were playing some good football. For Like, they were actually backing up a lot of the faff that Solskjaer talks, uh, you know, against Brighton. And it's like... As a, I'd say most Man United fans would agree. Like them two games for the first time, I've even come remotely close to enjoying watching Man United since the second half against Chelsea on the opening day. <laughs> no, that's the God honest truth. The Liverpool game you never enjoy, um, because it's Liverpool. You know, I, unless you're four 0 up at half time, you just don't enjoy it. Um, it, you know, it was a decent performance, but you never enjoy such close games like that. So, yeah, it, it was just good to actually enjoy um, a few games. It's good. Rashford's had a lot of stick. He's come back well. I've, you know, been always said in the pod, I didn't think he, he was a striker. Never said I didn't think he was. I always said he was a wide player, which he seems to be doing again now. And Martial, he, had, he, he wasn't good against Bournemouth, but against Norwich and the other games he's played since he came back, he looks them. Marshall's improved a lot. You know, I would have worried about him as a number nine in terms of his link. I wouldn't have worried about his finishing, but I would have worried in terms of his, you know, competing for balls that are put up up to him. You have to fight when you're a striker, you know, um, and being able to link the play and hold it up. But he he really seems to be relishing part of that. He's really bringing in other players into play well, and and Rashford. Rashford, he seems to bring the best out in Rashford from that left uh, 
left attacking role. So yeah, some some positive signs. You know, I, I still I still don't think Man United will finish in the in the top four, but, but, but top four by any chance. <laughs> <laughs> like still a long way to go. Although, like we've we've conceded less goals than Man City, I saw today actually. But yeah, there, there are positive signs. Midfield still weak. Um, yeah, it, it's going. There's going to be some very, very bad days throughout this season as a Man United fan. Um, but but it, it it is what it is. We won't be getting top four, and the the league table is just bonkers at the moment because. I think there's three points between sixth and sixteenth, so it's kind of like one week you lose, you're down into like fourteenth, and then you win and you're up to sixth or seventh. So that's kind of the yo-yo we're in at the moment. So um, yeah, definitely positive though, Sam. All in all, I will, I will be avoiding a rant for the first time in a long time. Very good. Say, Save that what... for a couple of weeks after the Sheffield United game. That no, <laughs> to be honest. That's the thing. We go. Uh, the re- that's the the cold harsh reality. We go away to Sheffield United on uh, you know the first the first weekend back. I think it's on the Sunday after the international break, and I fully expect us to lose there. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like you have one of, you have one of the most innovative innovative tactical coaches in the Premier League, and I'll, I'll like and only go so, and yeah. yeah, fair enough. <laughs> But actually, can I say one thing, lads, before we go? Because I don't think we always concentrate on the top six on this pod. But I do think now is the time. have to say to about Sheffield United, the fact that we're going to away to, uh, you know, Man United. I know Man United are poor imitation of themselves, but we're going away to Sheffield United. And I fully expect us to lose because that is how good Sheffield United are. And I think the the most startling aspect of Sheffield United for me is I know that Ludstrom has had a bit of press because he's you know, down as a defender in the football, in the fancy football and because he, he's put in a couple of big performances. But really with that Sheffield United team, there's been other seasons where promoted teams have done well, but it's because they have a star striker or a star attacker or somebody and they're all being linked with, you know, two or three star players and they're all being linked with moves in January, there's no real stars in this Sheffield United team, which shows you that their success is down to the system and the coaching that has been implemented by Chris Wilder. So, like, absolutely hats off to them. They're in fifth place and nobody wants to play them. Nobody. Which I think the last time a promoted team um, kind of took the Premier League kind of by, by storm or by surprise or had, had as much of a stamp... Well, I was going to say Swansea, like, you know, when they came up, they yeah, played, they yeah, played yeah, really yeah. good football and they, you could see that the team right, was well organised and they were, they were, Sheffield United remind me of that a bit, that they, they have their way of playing, but they're not, they're not a pushover either and they, they're, as you're saying, they're well organised, they're well drilled, but they, they play attractive football as yeah, well. And, definitely, yeah. I, 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 tell, I tell you what, I, I say Sheffield United away for us this season, for Liverpool, is one of the hardest teams we've faced. All yeah. season, and it's a cracking stadium as well. The, the fans are right down in your, in your grill, you know, when you're playing. So, a lot of good stuff going for them. Well, I uh, look forward to covering their 2 0 win in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, <laughs> we will, uh, well, we, we, we've gone through pretty much all the games you want to talk about without doing the quiz. So, should we just go to that and do a bumper edition of it at the end of the show? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, right then, lads. Uh, my first player began his career at Fulham. Nobody? Uh, went from Fulham to Celtic. 
Peter. Peter. Uh, Moussa Dembele. It's Moussa Dembele. Very good. Oh, and then uh, went to Lyon, which is where he is now. Uh, right then, our next player began his career at Slavia Prague. Peter. Peter. Thomas Rzyski. No. And. And. Paolo Nedved. Not Nedved, no. Peter. Peter. Peter Czech. No. Went from Prague to Borussia Dortmund. And. And. Uh, Patrick Berger. It's Patrick Berger, very good. And of course, went on to Liverpool then. Got the left peg, lads, huh? Yeah, yeah. Went on to Liverpool then. Portsmouth, Villa, Stoke, and back to Prague. Uh, Right, let's see, where are we? Uh, My next player then. uh, So, point each for Ant and Peter. My next player began his career at Udinese. Ant. Deck. Uh, Dinatale. No. Ant. Ant. Ah, no, bollocks. Wrong nationality. No, try Go on. Uh, our next player uh, the next team sorry is uh, Portsmouth Ant Ant is it Montari it's Sully Montari very good very very well done went back to Italy then playing for Inter uh, had loan spells at Sunderland and Milan before making that move permanent and he's still playing he's at Albacete in Spain uh, ok next player began his career at Corinthians nobody uh, went uh, only played for them twice before going to CSA, who he never played for, and then Benfica, who he also never played for. Okay. This is... <laughs> <laughs> then he went to uh, while at Benfica, he had a loan spell at Alversa, and then did a permanent move to a club called Salgueros. Ant. Ant. Is it Jose Mourinho? No. Deck. Deck. Hey. Brazil. Uh, Saviola. No. Yeah, it's Brazil. It's Corinthians is Brazil. Oh, yeah, Corinthians are Brazilian, aren't they? He went from there then to Porto. Peter. Peter. Dani Alves. No. No. Didn't play for Porto. Brazilian. Deck. Deck. Deco. It's Deco. That's a brilliant ah, shout. Very well done. I thought I thought I was going to keep you going for that one for ages. Uh... <laughs> Porto, Barcelona, Chelsea, and Fluminense is where he finished. And oh, I've actually only got one left. Uh, and you're out in front with two, I think. Are you, Peter? And yep. uh, Deccan one. Fuck, I better get another one handy. Uh, this next player then began his career at Birmingham City. Deck. Deck. Uh, Clinton Morrison. Nope. Oh. <laughs> Went from Birmingham to Crystal Palace. Ant. Ant. Uh, Clinton Morrison. <laughs> Peter. Peter. Andy Johnson. It's Andrew Johnson. Very good. Bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> now I need to find another one. All uh, right, hang on a second. Look at them ballet. That was a bit weird one. That's very current. Did you? Just, I know. Yeah. Did you flash? Did you? Did he flash open your phone just before you did it or something? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Hipster choice, isn't it? It's one of them hipster ones, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, then. Uh, my next player began his career at... Oh, let me just double-check. Next player began his career at Sporting. Peter. Peter. Nanny. <laughs> his nanny. Yeah. <laughs> <Very well done. laughs> Comes from behind to win it. 
he could win. <laughs> yeah, sporting. He actually had three spells at sporting, and uh, he's currently in the States playing for Orlando City. Uh, just time to do Prick of the Week then. Peter, we'll start with you. Um, I am go- the, the Arsenal bashing was actually quite li- light tonight, but I am going to go with Arsenal's media officer because... We've all seen the memes over the last few weeks. Before, you know, before every interview, Unai Emery says, good evening. And it's obviously in terrible broken. The way he says it, the way he pronounces evening, it's become a meme. And how they have not got hold of him, the media officer, and said, look, Emery, look, Unai, don't start with good evening because people are just ripping the piss out of you. Somebody needed to tell him. His kids were at home going after. Fuck's sake, Dad, not again. But yeah, I like I I don't know. Um I, I how did somebody not tell him? Save him from himself. Jesus Christ. It's just yeah, it, it's just so I felt so you feel embarrassed for him, you know what I mean? It's just good evening. It's it's terrible. So Arsenal's media officer, do your job, mate. <laughs> uh all right, Dick. Uh, do you know what? No, I I've struggled to come up with anything for this week, um, and I was kind of having a little mini debate with myself about this situation. It's the the Sterling and Gomez situation. I'm trying to figure out who the biggest prick in this whole thing is, and I, for some reason, I find myself gravitating towards Gareth Southgate as a bit of a prick because <laughs> I mean, he's it's not something that we should know about. Do you know what I mean? So whoever, whether it's him or whoever is at fault for that whole situation leaking out is the biggest prick in this situation because it's like, I know I, I touched on it earlier and I said, you know, it, it does show a little bit of the crack in the, in the mindset of Man City players of Sterling is, is, you know, lost the plot a little bit there. But at the same time, it's, it's quite a small situation that really shouldn't have been blown up into the media and stuff. And, and, like whatever about it getting out, I think it was because they released a statement saying he was he was removed from the the match day squad for this the game coming up on Thursday. So that's Soket's fault, and he's made a balls of it because you can you can discipline a player and and look after that situation without without it becoming common knowledge, and that's the biggest thing there. Like even though I'm I'm delighted that it's come out because it's brilliant for Liverpool and that, and it, it makes Sterling look like a bit of a muppet, but. This Soke comes across as a bit of a prick here because he he should be looking after his players a bit better. I think so. He's he's the prick here for me. I think that's a good shout, actually. Uh, Ant, um, mine's more of a lovable prick. Um, this from the weekend. I don't know if anybody saw it. You know, I, I know Pete was talking about good entertaining teams that you flick on to watch, and Chelsea one of them. Newcastle aren't one of them. To be fair, they are not one of those entertaining teams. <laughs> but, um, but if anybody saw the uh, the Newcastle game against Bournemouth. It's just it's just cl- it's classic Newcastle. They're like they like old Gil. They're like old Gill from The Simpsons. You just can't catch a break, can they? So, <laughs> just like for God's sake, it's Newcastle. I like say say Maximum breaks away. You know, flamboyant winger. You know, looks really exciting. Oh, the crowd are on the feet, clean through. Goalkeeper cleans him out. Great piece of goalkeeping. Gets the ball. The ball breaks to Almiron. He hasn't scored. He's an exciting winger. The record side. He's got an open goal and he hits it straight at St. Maximum. He's lying on the floor. But <laughs> thinking the pair of them just can't score. It's hilarious. So, lovable prick goes to St. Maximum because 
if you're not going to score, you may as well stop your other teammate from scoring as well. Bloody quality. Yeah. And, and can, can we mention uh, Roberto of... of oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, everybody, everybody's seen it, but yeah, we, we deserve to call you a prick on the pod as well. Because... That's true. You <laughs> look good. He's, he's, he's so bad. He's such a poor goalkeeper. Bloody hell. Perfect. Uh, right, that takes us to the end of the show. Thanks so much uh, for listening, and make sure you do subscribe as well to all the places that you can get podcasts, as we'll pop up in your feed next time we bring one out. And keep an eye on footballfaithful.com, and you'll get loads of great football content in the meantime. Uh, just time to say thanks to Peter. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, lads. Enjoyed that. Thank you, Dick. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Ant. Lads, enjoyed that. Uh, sure. Goodbye for me. We'll see you next time.